This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that it doesn't take very much effort to get me to talk about my Judaism. Having grown up in a majority Jewish community, I've had countless instances of culture shock as I left home and experienced a world that is, to be blunt, significantly more Christian than I was used to. In college, I found myself unexpectedly cringing when a group of Christmas carolers appeared out of nowhere in the dining hall and regaled me with songs about Jesus. This week's teller, June Thiel, grew up in a similarly non-majority spiritual environment. While they were raised Christian, June is also an indigenous Alaskan and grew up steeped in her traditional culture and spirituality. Join them as they recall how these two disparate religions have waxed and waned in their beliefs throughout their life. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in February 2020, Second Story is proud to present When Animals Used to Talk. Back a long time ago, when animals used to talk. That's how my people start telling a story. The old stories, when animals used to talk. I don't think they ever actually spoke. I don't think Raven created man out of mud or released the sun, moon, and stars into the sky creating light. I don't think Raven is actually our creator. Those are the old beliefs, stories, fables, passed down through generations. When I'm about five years old, we moved from my dad's village in rural Alaska into the city because my parents don't want to have to homeschool three children now that I'm ready to go into my first year. In town, we go to a little red church, Christian church, with our mom. Our pastor does magic tricks. Now I love magic. (laughs) Probably not what they're going for. (laughs) I have fond memories of the little red church until the pastor shoots and kills two men who are robbing it. The intruder stole only a few canned goods, but he shot them both in the back while they were fleeing. At about this time, I start to have what I liken to night terrors. The dream is the opposite of elaborate. Two clock gears suspended in midair with nothing but blackness as far as the eye can see. Turning slowly, never ending. It's a feeling of loss, of isolation, loneliness, death. I wake up in a sweat, usually crying. I can't get out of that overpowering feeling of depression. My family doesn't talk about feelings, but I'm in such a panic that I'm going to die and be stuck in a box of blackness for all eternity that I go to my parents and ask for help. My dad brings me back to my room and puts me back on the top bunk with his stern, wrinkled brow. I don't know how to explain my five-year-old existential crisis, so I tell him that I don't want him to die. He takes a second and then says, why not? Everything dies. And it shouldn't be something to be afraid of. There's a cycle to life and everything. It's nature. Organized religion has turned to death into something to fear, and it shouldn't be. My dad isn't the type to bullshit you. Even if you're an impressionable five-year-old, you'll get the truth. 
if you ask my dad. We spend our summers in my mom's village on Iliamna Lake, or what it used to be called, uh, Nilavana, Lake with Islands. This is the biggest lake in Alaska, and we're in Pedro Bay. We are the Tolchina clan, uh, made in the water people, and the Kali clan, fishtail people. My cheetah, grandma, is very grumpy. I think, because she only had two sons and seven daughters, but she's God-fearing. We joke that she'll try and give all her money and land to the church so she can buy her way into heaven. We stay with our cheetah and chutta, my grandpa, in the village, so we have to go to church. But we still get nuggets of the old ways, especially when we're acting like assholes. That's when they tell us the stories of the little people, the giants, the mountain men. It's mostly silly, but we know not to go into the woods at night. My best friend Dean and I sit in church patiently until we can escape the word of God and go swing on the church swing. The church is right on the lake, and it's a good piece of land, except that it's by George Jacko's house. Wacko Jacko. George is a molester pedophile. Church is full of hypocrites. We literally are related to most of the congregation, so we know. We are forced to go to church summer school, but we get out of chores, so it's not a total waste. There's a new missionary in town, this pushy Gushjana, white person, who keeps blathering on in his dumb southern accent about Radshack, Meshack, and Abendigo. <laughs> and his ugly wife makes fun of Dean's puffball bear during craft time. But little does she know we are part-time city kids, so we don't take bullshit lying down and tell her she's wrong, and that Dean's bear looks more like a bear than her bullshit bear. Also, we're Alaska fucking native. We know what fucking bears look like, lady. (laughs) A few years later, a new missionary family moves to the village and starts courting my cheetah and chutta. Living at their house, my cheetah treats them treats their million children better than her own grandchildren, so they just keep taking and taking. Can't convince my cheetah of any of this. I haven't been back to Pedro Bay in a couple of years, but my chutta passes away, and they are burying him by my Uncle Doug in the village. Everyone is there. It was sad, but I, feel, I felt some renewal being back in the village. All our relatives are there, full of people who loved my chutta. He was the last chief of the village, not officially recognized, but known. We lower my chutta into the ground and start to bury him. My cousins and siblings are taking turns with the few shovels we have. It's a lot of work, but it feels good, like the last act of labor to honor him. I loved him. He was calm and sweet and loved to laugh. I picture him in his recliner, giggling at episodes of The Honeymooners and I Love Lucy on VHS. (laughs) This is our way of saying goodbye, putting him back where he was first created, from the earth back into the earth. And then one of those fucking missionary kids grabs a shovel and starts to help. I puff up with this anger that creates a confidence I don't usually have. I walk up to him, grab the shovel. We have it under control. We don't want your help. I'm a good kid in high school. Get decent grades. Involved in anything that looks good on a resume. When your sister goes to Yale, 
You have to try to get into Yale, too, because they have great financial aid for indigenous students. I'm a bit awkward, but I act like I don't care. I'm best friends with Philip, a nerdy Christian kid who plays the guitar in a church band. He's new. He's very cute, but I don't have crushes on boys. I'm no less extreme about my views of a stupid religion, and he likes me anyway, so we go snowboarding and hang out in his car and listen to music. He never plays Christian music around me. Sometimes he plays guitar, but he doesn't sing, so I don't consider it Christian music. <clears throat> a couple of weeks before prom, he shyly comes up to me and asks me to be his date. I hesitate because I want to say no, but I say yes because he's put himself out there and I don't want to hurt his feelings. I mean, friends go to prom all the time together. It's fine. And then a few days before prom, he comes up to me. This time he's just uncomfortable and he tells me, I can't go to prom with you because we don't have the same religion. I feel like smashing his head into my locker and screaming in his face that God is a fairy tale you tell yourself because you're weak. <laughs> Instead, I say snidely, well, I don't want to go with you if that's how you feel. <laughs> I kick myself for not having a better comeback, but I proceed to tell everyone I know how much of a dipshit he is and that it's typical, <laughs> stupid, weak Christian behavior. He doesn't end up going to prom and loses a big chunk of his friends because they are my friends. I'm also a prom queen, so. <laughs> my best friend Dean is sucked in and becomes the worst thing that I could have possibly imagined a missionary. This feels like such a deep betrayal. We were supposed to be friends forever. Two old native people gossiping about Verna up the lake, beating and drinking wine on the porch. Dean goes to Africa to save the children. Africa, could you be more of a cliche? I don't talk to Dean for about five years. I hate God. I mean, I don't believe in God, but if there were a God, I would hate them. I've said this more than I can count. My cheetah dies a few years ago, so my mom goes back to the village by herself to put up salmon and take care of the land. Luckily, my cheetah wasn't allowed to give the land to the church, so it's our land now and will continue to be ours. Ours is a loose term. I was raised by this land, and it's more the other way around. This land made me, so I'm theirs. I've been meaning to go back and help my mom forever, and finally this past year I was able to go with my wife. My wife and I had a miscarriage after a rigorous IVF series. It wasn't devastating, but I know that we both felt very alone. Peter Bay is exactly how I remember it. Even after being away for 15 years, it has not changed. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, my yes, my cheetah and chutta are gone. The old church is decrepit. <laughs> George Jacko is finally dead. But Dean is back. And my mom regales us with old stories and our 
history way too late into the night because it, the sun never seems to set. And I feel a new sense of responsibility. I can feel the memories under my feet. I can breathe for the first time in a long time. But I know so much was taken from us and lost. I try and push past this barrier I have. I want to know what the animals told my ancestors. But something keeps holding me back. Something my dad told me in elementary school. Believing would be great. I mean, of course it would be. I, it would be so much nicer to have something after this life to continue. But I can't believe in a fairy tale. A few months ago, I am biking to a show I'm in. A play set in a funeral in a church. I have about a six-mile trek from work. While on Elston, just passing Kimball, I see one of the strangest things I've seen in the city. A big old hawk on the sidewalk by the 7-Eleven. The hawk is eating a roadkill pigeon. In my culture, there is a belief that when a bird does something strange or out of the ordinary, it's an omen of death. <laughs> I stop and chat with the hawk for a minute. I tell them what they are doing is very strange. I also take a video. <laughs> the hawk looks right into my eyes and says without making a sound, leave me alone. Then the hawk grasps their dead pigeon and flies right past me. I barely dodge the debris of feathers. <laughs> I laugh and, and keep hiking. I tell everyone in my cast about the weird shit that just happened. Also making sure that they understood the old ways, superstition of my people and the omen that it brings. Joking about it. Oh, then I remember I took a video, so I run and grab my phone to show everyone. I press the home button, and the screen lights up. A text from my mother. Auntie Marty was found dead in her apartment this morning. This story was curated by Deb Lewis, produced by Ariella Khan, and directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.